Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It seems like Mitch Abbott was just here the other day, but no one writes faster than Mitch. And books fly on the best-selling list. Yes, one of the best-selling authors in the country. He's a broadcaster. He's a writer, plays, movies, syndicated columnist. His books fly to the top of the bestseller list. 40 million copies I read in 47 languages. Don't forget Today's with Maury, which absolutely is a classic. And I don't think any book, any memoir has ever sold like that one. Mitch and his wife have done incredible work when it comes to charities and changing people's lives, including an orphanage in uh, Port-au-Prince. His brand new book, The Stranger in the Lifeboat, a novel, and a really fast read. I'm telling you, I picked it up, and next thing I know, I was almost finished and read the whole thing through because you that's what happens. You have to see exactly what happened. But let me start with something other than the book. What happened during all these uprisings in Haiti with the orphanage, with the children... Are they okay? Well, thank you, Joan. It's good to talk to you again, and uh, thank you for asking about our kids. So, you know, we we have 53 kids in our orphanage in Haiti, and I'm there every month uh, for the last 12 years. So, I've witnessed what's happened with Haiti, and it is really very, very Depressing. dangerous oh. now. I'm, I'm actually uh, leaving this weekend to go back again, and uh, there's a lot of kidnappings out in the street. Uh, it's very difficult to get from point A to point B. The gangs are kind of controlling the major part of the country now. And our kids, sadly, have not left the third of an acre uh, grounds that we have in almost two years. They haven't been outside. Uh, and that's no way for kids to be raised. You know, they're very happy in the facility and they play and we do everything we can. But it's a third of an acre. You know, 53 kids and 40 staff members. You, Everybody's on top of one another, and we, we used to take trips out to the beach and to the mountains right. and take kids for ice cream and things like that, and we can't do any of that. It's a, a very dangerous, very poor place, but we keep working there, and our kids, thank God, are, are, are thriving. But, Mitch, what happens to you when you get off that airplane, even with guards? How do you protect yeah. yourself getting there? Because you must be a hot commodity for those kidnappers. Well, first of all, I don't announce when I'm coming. Uh, and then, uh, sadly, we have have bodyguards in an armored vehicle that uh, meets us very quietly uh, and uh, takes us straight to the orphanage. And I never leave the orphanage the whole time I'm there. And then the only other trip I take is from the orphanage back to the airport. And, you know, we have to go at the right times and take the right routes and pray, uh, you know, know, because pray. I'm not going to I'm not going to not see my kids. And, uh, you know, we just have to pray that uh, that, uh, you know, we're spared from that. And, and hopefully that more importantly than me, it's, it's the you know, the people who are being kidnapped. there are not mostly these 
missionaries. I know that made the headlines here, but mostly they're just average Haitians. Right. We're just Most of them in have no the money at all. Nothing. They just pulled Nothing. off. Yeah, they're kidnapped for twenty dollars. Oh gosh! And are the one the most recent kidnappings, which made big news here in America, as you know, still isn't resolved. They don't have any of them back, including the children nope. that were part of the kidnap group. That's right, including an eight-month-old baby. So it's really tragic, and I wish that uh, America and the United Nations and other countries would rise step to in the occasion. Because yeah, because nothing's going to happen on its own there. I know. Do you ever think about moving the whole operation to the States temporarily? Oh, gosh, Joan, I would pick you, pick the kids up and carry them myself if, if that could. was possible. Yeah. But it's not legal. You know, you can't take the kids out and they make life very, very difficult to try to get a uh, to try to get a visa. And, and the, it's the United States that makes it difficult. Well known, uh, yeah. You know, they, they don't they don't let you just bring kids to the states i mean you got to go through an enormous amount of paperwork even for a medical situation so no i wish i believe me i wish i could transplant the whole thing but but the point is for the kids to learn to make their own country better you know um and that's what we're trying to raise them to do i'm talking to mitch album and mitch has a brand new book called the stranger in the lifeboat and this book is a little departure. It's basically about survival. And it's about uh, a bunch, well, the people in the lifeboat, there are 10 whom we meet and become involved with. But it's about, for many people, a once-in-a-lifetime trip aboard the yacht owned by a billionaire. And he invites some of the leading people in the world to be part of this think tank on water. Out of nowhere, the yacht explodes off the coast of Africa. I think it's in the Atlantic Ocean. And we're taken on this journey by a narrator. And it's really, the narrator finds a book that one of the people had kept. I'm going to let Mitch explain to you. And it's also, it raises a lot of questions. In the midst of all this, they pluck someone from the ocean, a young guy, who says he is the Lord. Is he? And explain. Yeah, well, you've done a good job of sort of setting it up. The yacht explodes and everybody's killed except these 10 people, half of whom are the rich guests and half of whom are staff, you know, cooks and and deckhands and the like. And they're in this lifeboat for three days uh, and nobody's coming for them. And there's no rescue. They see sharks in the water. They're running out of food and something to drink, and they're crying out for help. And then all of a sudden they see this body, as you pointed out, floating in the water. They pull him in. It's this young, nondescript guy, average-looking. They pepper him with questions. He doesn't say anything. And finally, one of the guests says, well, thank the Lord we found you. And he says, I am the Lord. And, of course, you know, they look at him and roll their eyes, and, you know, he just looks like this punk kid and they say okay yeah sure you're the lord what are you doing here and he says well haven't you been calling me you were calling so i came and they said oh so you're here to save us and he says well i can only save you if everybody in the boat believes i am who i say i am at the same time and this sets in motion you know what happens for the rest of the book as the days go by and things get more desperate and they you know, go lower and lower on food and water, and they're, you know, floating 
drifting away further. And some of them kind of choose to believe that he is who he says. And other ones are convinced, no, you know, their money is going to save them and otherwise. At its core, Joan, I wanted to write a book about asking for help, uh, which I've had to do many times in my life. Uh, And it seems to me that when we ask for help, you know, especially from God or the universe or whatever you believe in, we kind of expect it to, like we're ordering a sandwich in a deli. We expect it to be there in a certain amount of time and look like we expect it to. And if it isn't, we're upset or we think we didn't get what we wanted. Uh, But my observation in life is that, you know, the universe, God, it doesn't work on our timetable. And many times when you think you're not getting what you want, 10 years later, you look back on your life and you say, well, you know, I really thought that my prayers were being denied, but now that I realize if that didn't happen, then this wouldn't have happened and that I wouldn't have met this person and married them and had the kids. So I guess it was the best thing that could have happened to me. Well, if it's the best thing that could have happened to you 10 years from now, then it is the best thing that could happen to you now. But we don't recognize that. And and, and this is kind of brought home in this lifeboat where, where here comes a guy who says he can save them and they all go, ah, you know, you, you don't look the part, you know, you don't look like Jesus. You don't look like uh, Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. You don't, you know, you're not in. And, 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 and the guy, he gets hungry, he gets thirsty, he falls asleep a lot. So they're just convinced, you know, well, we're being ignored. And yet the help might be in front of them all this time. And that was a really interesting idea that I wanted to explore. Well, and everyone asks for help in a different way. And right. as you point out, has a different version of help you know some part the seas if you're the lord you know and others just save me it's a fascinating concept and especially when we are at a time in our own country with all that's going on that religion even though people may not realize that is on the wane so, yeah, it is. And it is on the wane and church attendance and synagogue attendance and all that is at an all time low. And uh, and yet we seem to be asking for help more than ever, especially during the pandemic. And I, I, I have to think that this book has been received, it's been out for a few weeks and it's 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 doing better than the last four books that I've written combined. You know, and I think it, it probably think? has to it has to do with the fact that everybody during these last couple of years um, has, has been asking for help of some kind. And, uh, you know, and, and for me, I was coming off having written about losing a child, right. which, uh, you know, we talked about in my previous book, Finding Chica was about one of the kids from our orphanage who we adopted and she had a brain tumor. And, uh, and you couldn't after two save years her of, no matter what. No, we couldn't. We tried and uh, we could travel around the world for two years, but we lost her. And I was very angry. When that happened, you know, angry at the universe, angry at God, saying, you know, there can't be such a thing as a kind God when they can't be kind to a seven-year-old. But as the four years plus now have passed, I've sort of healed in that, and I've I've come to, you know, like there's 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 a moment in the book where, uh, you know, I get to put the questions that all of us, Joan, would ask someone who claimed to be God. You know, uh, if they really were in front of us and you say, "Okay, you get 60 seconds, ask me any question you want. I'm God. Well, I've got to put those questions in the mouths of the passengers on the boat. Uh, So at one point, one of them asked, for example, well, if you're God, do you hear all prayers? Do you answer every prayer? And he says, I answer every prayer. But sometimes the answer is no, which is what I have found to be true in my life. Or, of course, the question that everybody would ask, 
why did people die? You know, why did you have to, right. why did you have to take somebody from me? And at one point, one of the passengers confronts him over this because his wife died and he's all Said, you know, he's why? crying. Yeah. And he, yeah. And why did you take my wife? And the answer is, well, when someone dies on earth, we always ask, why did God take them? Why don't we ask the question, what did we do to deserve them? What did we do to merit their love, their sweetness, their memories? Didn't you have moments like that with your wife? And he says, yeah, every day. And the guy says, well, those memories, those moments were a gift, but not having them isn't a punishment. And he says, "If we, I know that you cry when your loved ones leave this earth, but I can assure you they're not crying. And for me, you know, that was a very healing thing to sort of conclude and write because that's how I feel about our little girl. that We cry for her every day and miss her, but she's not crying. She's not in pain anymore. And I, I think the idea of, of, of finding help and healing, you know, and realizing things may actually be happening for the best, even when they don't feel like that, um, is something very comforting to people. And maybe that's why people are embracing the book. Are you religious? I am faithful. Uh, you know, I was raised Jewishly, and I still I still participate in the Jewish religion, and I don't I don't attend services on a weekly basis or anything like that. But I was very well educated in it when I was younger, and I I I absolutely believe. You know, I believe in God. I believe that there's something beyond this world. I wrote the book, The Five People You Meet in Heaven. It's kind of hard not to, you know. Exactly. Uh, but uh, that was based on uh, an uncle of mine who died, you know, momentarily and came, was brought back and told me that he saw his relatives waiting for him at the edge of the hospital bed. And ever since then, I've always believed, well, that must be what happened. So, you know, I'm I'm both faithful and spiritual, and I do think that we're here for a bigger purpose. And I do think that if we try to do things for the good, eventually things work out for the good doesn't happen in five minutes you know but for example my wife and i got married late we always wanted to have children didn't happen we just figured all right it's one of those prayers that just isn't going to be answered 15 years later i end up taking over an orphanage now we have 53 children in our life and including we had a little girl who was our little girl for two years and they were the most amazing two years of our lives so we did get our prayer answered but it took years you know, and if you see the long picture, as as, as they kind of do in The Stranger in the Lifeboat, then it's a lot more comforting than to go through life thinking, oh, nobody's listening to me and, you know, the universe is denying me. Right. And when you look, I mean, it isn't like you're finished writing books, but every single book has become huge. When you look back, can you really believe your own story? I remember the early days when you were writing sports stuff and right. doing great. And right. then suddenly you come out with this book and your life changed forever. Right. Tuesdays with Maury. And, and, and that's, a, Joan, that's where I learned the lesson. Because, you know, when I wrote Tuesdays with Maury, the experience, I wasn't going to write a book. I, you know, an old professor of mine was dying from Gehrig's disease and I felt guilty because I hadn't stayed in touch with him. So I went to see him what was supposed to be one time. And I have to tell you, you know, I wasn't excited about going that one time. It was more like an obligation. And And then when he said, will you come back next week? I was like, oh, how am I going to turn him down? 
come back next week. Okay, I got to fly to Boston again next week. And again, it felt like an obligation. And it took some time before I started to realize, wow, this is really benefiting me, you know, personally, not professionally, just personally. I'm learning so much from this man who's dying. And, and then I decided to write a book to pay his medical bills. It wasn't a career move. It was to pay his medical bills, and I was going to go back to sports writing. Right. I, we, nobody figured anybody would read that book. Right. And now so look at what's happened. With, yeah. I, I was denied by most publishers in New York. They told me, nah, we don't want to publish. It's boring. It's depressing. You're a sports writer. I only found you know, one in the end who was willing to give us the money to pay for his medical bills. And uh, I was going to go back to sports writing, and then instead it changed my life forever. That has to be something bigger than me. And so I look at that you know, as, as at the time. It just seemed like a burden and an obligation. And now I look back on it and it was, as I said, the best thing that possibly could have happened. And I think many people have that story in their lives, not just me. Yeah, right. It was your fate. But what about music? You had bands. You were really involved in music. Yeah, I was. And uh, I did not succeed in it. Uh, I was there in New York doing the starving artist thing like everybody else. Right. And uh, But it was because I didn't succeed in it. And I worked at night uh, as a musician, and I had my days free, and I happened to see a, the Queen's Tribune, if some people may still remember that. The Queen's Tribune, where I was living, I picked it up at a supermarket, and uh, I looked at the bottom, and they said, if you have free time, we could use some people to help us with our newspaper. And I was just, you know, music was going nowhere for me. I was working at night, but I wasn't getting where, so I wandered over to this newspaper, and I volunteered. And uh, I, my first writing assignment was parking meters on 108th street in in queens why were they going up a nickel and that was the first thing i ever wrote and and yet if i hadn't done that you know if i hadn't walked over there i'd never have become a writer and that was because music wasn't working out so even though i love music that apparently wasn't meant to be my path but it afforded me the chance to get into writing it's fantastic it's really an unbelievable story I thank you so much, Mitch, the stranger in the lifeboat. And, of course, Tuesdays with Maury, the best-selling memoir of all time. And this book is going to take you and make you question a lot of things and also make you rethink your own fate and your own life. All the best to you and your wife. We'll talk very soon. Thanks, Joan. Great to talk to you. You too.